You are listening to the Power of Why podcast. It, it's good to look at the paths that other people take because it just sort of shows you what the options are. That being said, it's also critically important to keep in mind that there are many paths. Right. It's 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 super easy to look at what a group or a cohort of people have done to get to where they are and think to yourself, okay, that's what I've that's got the to only do. Way. Right. And nothing could be further from the truth. I agree. And and, and I've, I've, I've also met people in, in my own professional life later on who took these super unconventional paths, but ultimately wound up getting to a really good, a really good place. And, and there was value in taking that alternative path. You know, on that alternative path, they realized things, learned things, were exposed to things that they otherwise would not have been. Hi everyone, welcome to another episode of The Power of Why. My name is Naomi and today I am joined by Musay. Musay, how are you doing today? I'm doing wonderful. Thank you. Thank you so much for having me today. Really appreciate it. Thank you for, first of all, saying yes. You know, Musay and I actually went to the same school. We went to university together. Uh, we went through the same program, actually. And I remember you being incredibly focused and just a diligent learner in general, like very studious. And so for some context for the audience, Musay graduated with a degree in commerce from the University of Ottawa in 2018. And he went on to work at two different organizations in both the finance and accounting space before landing in his current role as a financial analyst um, at a family office here in Ottawa that actually offers wealth management, tax planning services. And I have to preface this conversation by saying that like out of my peer slash friend group, you are one of the most disciplined people that I know and you're juggling a lot. You're going through the whole CFA process, but this is part of the reason why I wanted to have you on and just sort of share your experience, how you grew up. So Muse, can you provide us a little bit more context on your story, like how you grew up? For sure. So I was born in Ottawa, Ontario. I would say I had a very typical middle-class Ottawa suburb upbringing. Um, so nothing too special there. But my my parents are first-generation Ethiopian immigrants, and I think that that had a huge influence in terms of how I grew up. I grew up with the my parents were disciplinarians. Uh, structure was a big part of my life. The importance of education, the importance of integrity. So th- those those sort of fundamental values, those key values that I'm a fervent believer you need to become successful were, were inculcated in me from a, a super young age, very young age. So that sort of became part of a habit, right? I mean, you, you do things over, you repeat them over, they become naturally. It's kind of like being polite, right? People times often, like, oh, so you're super polite. I think to myself, I'm not, I don't act actually go out of my way to to be polite Mm -hmm. it's just my natural inclination because I've been that way for so long right and I know that probably sounds a little bit self-aggrandizing there I wasn't trying to be too (laughs) too self-flattering but the 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 argument sort of is if if you do something for long enough it sort of just becomes part of who you are and what you do and and it's natural so uh, you know growing up I was a fairly good student especially probably starting in middle school is when I really started to take school a little bit more seriously. And then in high school, I really started to take school seriously. I sort of, it was almost sort of a point of pride. I, I sort of viewed my, my grades to a certain extent as an extension of myself. So I thought, you know, if I do well in school, it's indicative of who I am as a person that I, I put care into my work and I'm proud of my output. And that yep. sort of carried on. So I, I graduated from high school 2013, uh, enrolled at the University of Ottawa to do commerce. And I was there till 2018 when I graduated, found a job in industry, 
and started pursuing my CFA. And you know, three years later, here I am working as uh, still on the CFA journey, hopefully ending sometime soon and, and working at a family office that based in Ottawa. So it's, it's been fun. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I definitely hear you on growing up with parents who obviously came here, experienced a completely different life back home. And so that push for education and being the best and doing what you need to do to kind of set yourself up for a great life um, moving forward was specifically with my parents. It was, I want to give you everything that I, like we didn't have growing up, see that in you as well. I, I, I sort of resonate with that. My, my, my parents would always say, you know, you, you've had, you've had every single support in life, right? You, mm-hmm. you, you were born here. We supported you in all of your endeavors. You know, what, what excuse do you have to not be the best you could be type thing? And when I was younger, I, I was, it was difficult for me to comprehend because most of my friends weren't raised in that same way. And I used mm-hmm. to always think like, my parents are way more strict than that of my friends. Yeah. I was like, oh, like these guys, you're just over the top. But as I get older, I, and I become a little bit more educated on their own experiences coming here and yeah. my own personal life experience as well. It, it's, I actually appreciate it all the more. Mm-hmm. Did you have any phases growing up where you did act out or were you, <laughs> was it always pretty like straight and narrow, kind, you say, what was that? Like? I was, I was fairly, I was fairly straight and narrow. Um, mm-hmm. I'm, I'm not the type of person, I'm not very confrontational. So it, even just sort of naturally my own, my own personality, like I, I respected my parents and I thought my logic was, listen, I'll, I'll follow the rules. I don't necessarily agree with all of them, but I follow the rules. I get afforded some freedoms. It works out. That was sort of my logic. Yeah. Um, and, and so it, it turned out okay. So it, mm-hmm. yes, I, broadly speaking, I was a fairly obedient kid. Mm-hmm. And you say, you know, looking back that you actually appreciated, you know, sort of growing up in this way. Um, what are some of the most obvious and maybe not so obvious ways that that has really played out into just being the young professional that you are today? So in terms of how it's helped me today, several things. Number one, the, the, importance, of, the importance of self-discipline, the importance of delayed gratification. I, I think it's the very bedrock of what it means to get ahead in life, right? If, if you think about what it means to invest, just period, whether it's investing in yourself or investing your money, investing is delaying what pleasures now so that you can eventually have more in the future. Like that's, that's the very essence of what it means to invest. And that's the very essence of what discipline is, right? People who succeed financially tend to be disciplined with their money. Mm -hmm. People who succeed in their careers tend to be disciplined with their education and how they allocate their time. People who succeed in their relationships tend to be disciplined in the manner of how they treat their significant other. So that aspect of my upbringing sort of set the foundation for my life. And I've built upon that foundation over time. Importance of education. My, my parents, particularly my father's, was, were just voracious readers. Yeah. And my, my dad always told me the importance of being broadly read. Um, you know, a fool is somebody who doesn't read. And, you know, having broad knowledge in terms of being able to communicate with people more effectively, I found that reading has really helped me. Having confidence speaking with, with superiors. I mean, mm-hmm. I work for a fairly prominent family. I mean, commu- I communicate with people who are decades my senior, people who are highly, highly respected in their fields. And I can do that very confidently. And I can say unequivocally that that has helped in my life, the ability to mm-hmm. communicate 
coherently, intelligently, even as a 25-year-old, it just makes you come across as more mature, more learned, and, and it gives a little bit more credibility to you in spite of your younger age. So, so these, are, these are the types of things that I have, I at least, that have supported me in terms of my general personal development. Um, and not everybody has that privilege, right? Not everybody has parents who, who dote on them or who themselves have the wisdom to give to their children, right? Um, so I was fortunate enough to be in a home where my parents, number one, cared and loved for me deeply and supported me and gave me these strong values. And it, it's carried its way through in my life. Environment is huge. Huge, and I, hugely, like, enormous, cannot, and cannot I think be sometimes it's, And sometimes I think it is an underrated conversation. And even what you brought up about reading, you know, for me, I hated reading growing up, but. <laughs> it was a chore for me too, girl. I, I, it was, I did not, I'm not saying that I always enjoy it, enjoyed it the way I do now. Like I'd love it now because I see the benefits of it. But when you're eight right. years old and your friends are outside playing street hockey and, you know, you're reading the dictionary. Yeah, you're, you're slightly less exhilarating for an eight-year-old. Yeah, and that's, I think, where I was going was, you know, a lot of my friends that age didn't really, once I hit grade seven, I was in like a class of about 12 people, and we were all incredibly like diligent readers. But I think it was even me like a year or two before my dad just pounding it in my head that you need to read. Why aren't you reading like your cousins? And it was just it got too much to the point where I'm like, okay, I'm just going to read to make sure that like you're not continuing to annoy me about this. But then I completely fell in love. And I started with like fantasy books. And, you know, from that point on, I didn't really watch movies. Like I would just be buried in, into these novels and pretending that these people were my friends, even though they, like, they were just made up characters. But, you know, you're right about that practice and building up habits. And today I can't even imagine an alternative. Do you know what I mean? In terms of even getting to this point career-wise or pers personal development-wise as well. So um, yeah, thanks for just sharing how important the environment is, not necessarily the rules. So I'm incredibly curious about your career in finance. You studied finance at university. You chose that as, an, as a specialization, as an option. What exactly drew you to this world of, of business more you know, widely and then finance as, a, as an area that you wanted to focus on? It's sort of an interesting story. So I went through high school. I was a good student, like I mentioned earlier, but I, I had really had no idea what it was I wanted to do with the rest of my life. Grade 11, I took all three sciences because my, my idea was just keep my options open because I, I really have no clue. And then in grade, 11, in grade 11, I read this book called Freakonomics. I don't know if you've ever, ever heard yeah, about it. It's, yeah. it's a popular book. It's this book that sort of, it combines economics in a very unique way with just daily life. Mm -hmm. And I don't know why I resonated with it. I found the book absolutely fascinating. So I thought to myself, okay, I'm, I'm, I'm going to be an economist. <laughs> like in my head, in my grade 11, 16 year old, 15 year old head, I was like, I'm going to be an economist. And then I was speaking to my dad, who also, by the way, is an economist by profession. And he was like, don't do economics, <laughs> right? which I found to be so odd. I was like, that's, that's the path that you chose. And he told me, well, several things. Number one, if, you, if you're going to go into economics, you're going to need at least a master's, if, if not a PhD. And even when you do have that, your options are fairly limited. It's, it's academia maybe bank, bank of Canada, maybe you could work in the government as a consultant and sort of those are your three options. So he was a proponent of doing something a little bit more general where I could chart my own path, 
as I matured. So then that sort of set me back. I thought, okay, so that's probably not the most prudent option. Okay, what do I like? What do I naturally sort of excel in? Well, I liked math. You know, I, I was strong in math. I enjoyed accounting. I had taken an accounting course in grade 11. I enjoyed it. I was broadly interested in business. And by that point, I had sort of decided I don't, I don't really see myself going into the sciences. And so I had several friends of mine who, who were going into finance and sort of like your typical amenable teenager, I decided, okay, well, if they're doing that and I'm sort of interested in that, well, I'll just sort of go along with it. I was, I, I remember vividly, I was 16, about to turn 17, I think, when I had, when I made that decision. So it's, it's sort of one of the things about the school system in the West that I always found a bit odd that you make these really critical life decisions yeah. at such a young age. And that's, that's just normal. I consider myself super lucky that I made a decision that was not necessarily the most informed, but that ultimately turned out to be all right. So I chose finance and, and, you know, at the university of Ottawa, I mean, it was really broadly a commerce degree with some finance courses towards the end, but I knew, right. I, I knew from my time at the university of Ottawa, that finance was the right, was the right major for me. And that I would, I would pursue it further upon graduation, which I have. So that's sort of how that worked out a little bit of fortunate circumstance in the sense that I had my dad to sort of guide me through it as well. Some of it was my own introspective thinking. And then of course, serendipity in life. There's always a little bit of luck that plays into, into things that work out well. Um, of course. And, and right timing. So that's sort of how I decided to get into finance. I'm glad that it worked out. <laughs> yes. And I have to say that before you even finished school, you did have experience in the field that you you know, thought you were going to delve into further after graduation. You've worked at both small organizations and then large ones as well. Can you compare and contrast what both those experiences were like for you, but specifically from the perspective of the learning opportunities that are available and how you were challenged in, in both? Yeah, so sort of in a general sense, working at a smaller firm, almost always it's all hands on deck. So in terms of getting a broader range of exposure, working in an organization that has a flatter hierarchy, that employs an open door policy, I find that learning in general happens much more quickly in smaller organizations. I, I just think it's inherently more conducive, particularly if you're the type of person who is ambitious and is going to take initiative. Smaller organizations so, sort of allow you to do so because you're not constrained by large organizational red tape and, and bureaucracy. Mm -hmm that inevitably comes with, with working at a large organization. Working at large organizations though also has its own benefit. You tend to be able to focus a little bit more on individual tasks because you, know, you have departments and things are a little bit more siloed. So you're able to get better at that task, but the only problem is you really only see that task. It's difficult to get a broad range of exposure. I found that I thrived better in smaller organizations. I was able to build stronger bonds uh, with my team. I was able to see more. And presently, I work in a super small organization as well. So it served as a strong base for, for what it is I do now. Especially when you're working with a small team, getting along, with your, getting along with your coworkers, having strong relationships with them, developing trust is imperative. Because in, in a big organization, you could sort of hide behind rank and role and things of that nature. There's none of that in a small team. <laughs> like there's no, there is nowhere to hide. Everyone knows you. Everyone knows what you're supposed to do. You either right. did it or you didn't. And there's no one else to catch the slack because everyone else is already maxed out. So in, in terms of having to keep up the pace, 
and not being able to hide. It's, it's all out in the open in, in, in smaller teams. My, my work experience was not exactly all finance. It was more so accounting. I did So my very first one, I worked in government. I wouldn't really say it was finance or accounting. It was largely data entry. The second one, I worked at a small consulting firm in, in private sector, you know, competed for contract for public sector contracts, essentially. Third, I worked at a small accounting firm. And then fourth, I worked at uh, MD Financial Management and I worked in as a risk analyst and I eventually went on upon graduation, I went back there. So I didn't actually get all that much finance per se relevant experience. And it's something I wish I had. Um, Ottawa is not a finance hub, so it's fairly difficult to get that type of experience. And I, I'm certain we'll touch upon this later. You know, life is not linear. Were, were, were the roles exactly finance oriented? Not necessarily, but I still benefit enormously from them. I gained a lot of practical work experience. It gave me credibility that many of my fellow graduates who didn't have co-op didn't have. So that was a massive leg up coming out of an academic institution and heading into the career world, enormously beneficial for sure. I don't know how soon you started your CFA, but for those who are in finance, probably understand what the process is like. What was your decision making? Like, how did you decide that this was the path that you wanted to take? Because it is quite an investment time-wise. And how do you think that this is going to help you in terms of your next, you know, career steps? Yeah, so the CFA... For, for the reviewers who don't know, the CFA is a Chartered Financial Analyst designation. It's a global designation. It's, it's considered the gold standard, and it's a super rigorous program. I had been debating starting it probably since third year. And, and when I graduated, I, I, I was still hungry for more. Like I knew that there, was a, there were a lot of gaps in my knowledge, and I wanted to close those gaps. And my thought was, well, I'm young now. I just came out of school. I still have all my study habits intact. Uh, right. I'm not, I'm not, you know, encumbered with adult responsibilities. You come out of school, you're 21, you're 22. You're not, you're not a, you're an adult from a legal standpoint, but you don't, you don't necessarily have to, you know, deal with having children or having a mortgage or things of that nature. So yeah. I knew that it was the right time in my life. If I was going to continue down the educational path, let's just get this started. So I, I came back from, I went on exchange for my final semester. I came back end of December. I took a week off and I started my CFA. Wait, I didn't know that you went on exchange. Yeah, Not yeah, to I teach her at all, but where'd you go? Did you go to... I went, I went to France. France, beautiful. Yeah, I went to a city oh. in northern France called Lille, which is a, a student city uh, in the very north of France, very close to the Belgian border. I, just, I wanted to finish my, my undergrad off on a high, so I decided I'd, I'd go there and study. And it was, it was a total blast. I highly suggest doing, uh, doing an exchange if possible. Yeah. So, so I, I came back. I, I started my, my, my CFA essentially immediately got a job because of co-op. So going back co-op was a good thing because it, it got me my first job. It was challenging. I, it, the challenging bit was working while studying at the same time, like working a full day and then coming home and then studying, waking up in the morning on the weekends and studying yeah. that, that, that con and it's not, it, it's rigorous material. L level one is probably the, is the easiest of the three levels, but it's, it, it's still difficult. It's still, it's still challenging. Once again, the importance of self-discipline. Yeah came in handy here because un unlike university, there is no professor. There are no deliverables to keep you on time. It's here are six books, 3000 pages of material. See you in June. Right. And, right. So, you I mean, you have to have, you, you, you number one, have to have the self-discipline too. You just have to have the desire. I find it's one of those things where if you genuinely don't want to do it, if you're not excited about it, if you don't want to turn the page and learn more, then you're, you're just not going to do it. It's, it's too much of a time commit. The people who are not meant for it or who aren't interested in it, 
you'll know in level one, it'll become, it'll become apparent. This is not for you. Mm -hmm. And that, by the way, is not necessarily a bad thing. If anything, it's good to learn what it is you want and what it is you don't want. There's nothing inherently bad about not continuing down the path. It's been a challenge, but it's been tremendously rewarding, both in terms of a knowledge standpoint and in terms of a career standpoint as well. I think that point of being weeded out in the process is literally a metaphor for life. Because, you know, when you're pursuing anything, like uh, this is not, when I ask you this question, I'm not really talking about the CFA, but having this strong desire or why, like we're, t- we're talking about the power of why here, is going to be the thing that gets you through this, exactly. right? And understanding exactly what your intentions are and what is this, what is this even leading up to, right? Um, What's the purpose? Because, exactly. Yeah. So what, what was it for you? So for me, it was several things. One was, was just knowledge. I, I, I approach a CFA as, okay, I want to learn more about this field. The CFA is this great aggregated body of knowledge, right? I mean, most of what you need to know is in this curriculum and it's, it's organized in a way that it's digestible. So as opposed to going to the library and sort of randomly picking out books and trying to figure things out on my own, this book gives me the perfect structure. Uh, this, this program rather gives me the perfect structure. I'll just go through it and learn it. And when I'm done, on the other side, I get this great designation that gives me credibility. And you know, it's a signal to employers that, hey, Muse has strong technical proficiency in finance. He has to abide by these code of, of ethics and st- the code of standards. He mm-hmm. is obviously, from a personal standpoint, somebody who's self-disciplined and is actually passionate about the subject. Like a lot, like a lot of designations and educational qualifications, it's a signal to employers that this is somebody who who could put his mind to something, get, you know, get it done. And, and so that's, I was not, and I want to emphasize this, I'm not doing it for the letters. Like I'm not doing it to have letters after my name. That's, that's not the purpose. And if that is your purpose, then you should not do it. <laughs> you know, you, you're doing it just, you're doing it to have the knowledge to do better in your career, to be able to serve your clients better, to have a broader knowledge base. That's the purpose. If your purpose is just to get through three exams, I, I don't suggest doing it because um, it defeats the purpose of what it's about, which is acquiring knowledge. Hey there. Thanks for tuning into this episode. If you are enjoying the conversation, make sure to share it with a friend. Take a screenshot, spread the word. It really allows me to bring on more incredible guests as we continue to level up in the podcasting space. Mm-hmm. I don't really see my career in this way, but just for some context, if you're looking at individuals who are doing the type of work and, you know, lead the type of teams that you want to eventually lead, you know, do most of them have the CFA designation uh, when you're looking at the industry as a whole? Virtually all of them. So mm-hmm. so before I, before I decided to commit an enormous amount of time to this, I scoured LinkedIn yeah. just you know, as I always do, you know, looking at where people are, how long it took, you know, what their past work experience was, where they went to school, what they did to get to where they are today. Mm-hmm. And the the overwhelming majority of them are CFA charter holders or are at least working towards it. Mm-hmm. Um, so that was pretty much a nail in the coffin for me. You know, it, there's this, there's this saying, if you stand still while everyone else is running, you're falling behind. Well, if, if everyone, if all your competition are doing this designation and you want to at least keep up with the herd, if not try to surpass them, then you have to do it um, or else you're falling behind. So it, it became pretty clear to me from my research that this was the right path. And to this day, it's, it's been the right choice. Mm-hmm. I'm glad that you did that type of research of just going through LinkedIn. Like, you know, we live 
in a very interesting time where if you want to find the answer to something, you can you can find the answer to something, right? And if it's not necessarily publicly available, there are people that you can reach out to by cold email, by warm introduction, whatever it is to get to get those answers and to ask those questions. For sure. I think it, it's good to look at the paths that other people take because it just sort of shows you what the options are. That being said, it's also critically important to keep in mind that there are many paths. Right. It's, it's, it's super easy to look at what a group or a cohort of people have done to get to where they are and think to yourself, okay, that's what I've that's got the to only do. Way. Right. And nothing could be further from the truth. I agree. And, and, and I, I've, I've also met people in, in my own professional life later on who took these super unconventional paths, but ultimately wound up getting to a really good, a really good place. And, and there was value in taking that alternative path, you know, on that alternative path, they realized things, learned things, were exposed to things that they otherwise would not have been, that have not only been personally enriching, but have allowed them to learn more about the options available to them. So, you know, have a general idea of where it is you want to go. I, I think it's a super, it's necessary to know where it is you want to go, but be flexible in terms of the steps you're going to take to get there. Don't right. be overly rigid. Have a plan that's perfectly cool, but also be open to being malleable, being flexible, and and being able to sort of play with the punches, so to speak. Out of all of this, if you wanted to talk a little bit about self-awareness and how that how important that is on your path, because we've talked about this before. Yeah, what would you say around tuning in? You know, there's a lot of research that you can do out there, but I think really the answers that you're looking for, you can answer on your own, but it just takes that time and that space to 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 tune in, right? Yeah. And very topical, especially with with COVID, given that now that you're forced to be alone, right? Like introspective thinking, like you have no, there is no distraction anymore. Like what else do you have to, you're stuck in your house. <laughs> you can't go anywhere. So it's the perfect time to engage in introspective thinking, do some reading, figure out who you are, what it is you're about. And, I, and this is sort of my, what I've learned since COVID. You know, figure out who you are, figure out what it is you're about and have that guide you. You know, it's, su- it's super easy to, particularly in this, in this social media age where it, it's super easy to look at, at people's lives. I'm using air quotes for your viewers who can't see me, you know, it's, it's just, it, which is effectively just a highlight reel of people showing the best aspects of their life. Yeah. If, if you're the type of person who feels, who feels like you're, you know, who suffers from FOMO, you feel like you're missing out. The best way to get over that is to figure out who you are, what it is, you, mm-hmm. what it is you're about, and use and use that as your guide. Because once you know what it is you're about, you know why it is you're doing what you're doing. Then you're not going to be all that concerned about what others are doing because right. you're charting your own path, right? Mm-hmm. You're you're an independent individual making your own choices, separate from everybody else, because you're you're charting your own course. You you won't you won't deal with those common ailments that many people in our generation deal with of. Of, of constantly feeling insecure or concerned about not following the standard path or make decisions in your life that are ir- irrespective of what, of what others are doing. If you want to be able to do that, you need to be equipped. You need to know who you, who you are really is, is, is fundamentally it. And that's, and I think that in order to figure that out, you need to spend time alone, right? Yeah. I mean, how do you learn more about yourself? Uh, probably by being by yourself and spending time thinking by yourself, right? If you're, if you're yeah. constantly with other people, then that makes it really difficult. So I, I, I'm, 
that's sort of something that I learned in COVID sort of by force because I haven't really had the choice, but spending all this time alone, I would go for these long walks and I feel like you were like that before. (laughs) I was like, I was like that before. Yeah. I was like that before, but this took it to another, another level. level. And and I was really, really able to focus on why am I doing what I'm doing? Like, what's what's the purpose of this? Like, why do I spend the time the way I spend it? Why do I hang out with the people I hang out with? Mm-hmm. And, and and it's odd to ask yourself those questions when you've been doing things the same way for so long, right? Because you sort of, yeah. you, you, you get into the state of inertia where you just do things because that's how you do things. It's how you've always done things. And then all of a sudden... Yeah. You gain this different perspective and you think to yourself, wait, that, that just because just I've been doing it this way doesn't mean I necessarily have to keep on doing it this way. There are other ways to do this. And, and time alone has without a doubt been, been an enormous blessing, both, both before COVID, but especially after COVID. It's, it's, one, it's sort of the tragic irony of this whole experience in, in that it's, it's wreaked havoc on people's personal lives and businesses and the economy, but it's also allowed time for people to carve out some space for themselves in a way that they wouldn't have done otherwise. Yeah. And you mentioned social media and tech, and these are environments that are designed to, and they are changing people's behaviors, right? And as much as, you know, there are a group of people that talk about, oh, but what about you know, personal awareness and personal responsibility. It's not all about these apps. The apps play a large part of it, right? And just like we mentioned in terms of the environment that you grew up in and the parents that helped you to become who you are today, these are all environments that influence your behavior. With that said, you're not on social media other than LinkedIn. So, you know, what was this personal decision like? You might have a Facebook account. I don't know. I have I have a Facebook I have a Facebook account, but if you go to my Facebook account, I mean, I think probably my profile empty. picture is like six years old. I have a, probably a small handful of photos. So I actually I wasn't interesting story. I wasn't allowed to use social media like in mm-hmm. high school, and then okay. in my senior year, I I had got it secretly, sort of without my parents' permission, because I had become president of this club, a co-president I should say, with this club with my friend. And I, I, yeah. I needed social media in order to connect with the people who are part of our club. So, so I got to find my parents back, which in retrospect was probably not the right idea. And, you know, all this time, all my friends were like, dude, you're missing out. Like you're, you're, you're missing. everything happens on social media. And then I got it and I realized I, I'm really not, I'm really not about this. There's, there's not, I'm not missing <laughs> out on any, I'm not missing out on anything of any particular importance. You're just scrolling your life away, looking at, random things. I suppose it's useful to connect with people who you otherwise would necessarily connect with, but that's not how people really use it. People use mm-hmm. it as a time waste. There are smart people, I suppose, who use it for the purpose of promoting their business or getting their name out or marketing or whatever the case may be. Yeah. I'm perfectly fine with that because that's a productive use. But just using it to look at what other people are doing, which is only going to make you more miserable about you're not being happy in your own life. I just don't see the value in that. I, I would rather spend that time doing things that I actually enjoy. I'd love to, before we wrap up the episode, I'd love to talk a little bit about, because you talked about your process for studying, and obviously it's huge time investment. For folks who are building something, studying towards something similar or dissimilar from the CFA, um, what are some things that have really worked for you? Systems, habits that have helped you stay focused and disciplined when maybe you're not feeling motivated that day? What's yeah. Your, what's your take? 
I think several things. One is, and your audience could probably tell by my speaking thus far, I like structure. I'm, I'm a big proponent of structure. For, you know, for example, when I'm doing CFA, 6 to 8 p.m. on, week, on weekdays, that's, that's study time. Like, like, no question, that is study time. I know that that's study time. Nothing's mm-hmm. going to distract me from my study time. Like Full your stop. family knows right. that it's study time. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I get it. It's study time. Like it's, okay. I, I'm studying. <laughs> Something's happening. Sorry, I'm not available. But so, so having that structure and it, it, several things, it keeps yourself honest. I find if I set up that time to do something and I didn't use it the way I'm supposed to use it, I'm going to feel really guilty when I go to sleep that night. Mm-hmm. I, I, and, and because I don't want to feel that guilt, it almost in a certain way forces me to use that time wisely. Yeah. Cause I'm like, I, I, I want to go to bed tonight and I want to be at peace with myself. I want to close the chapter on this day and welcome a new day on the right foot. Um, and by the way, that's not, that's not just for studying. That's for anything like right. exercise, right? This whole idea of, Oh, I don't have time for something. No, it's, we all have 24 hours. It's just not a priority for you. You weren't willing to prioritize it. So it didn't get done. Right. If, if you want to go to the gym early in the morning, you will tell yourself, okay, if I want to get up at five, then I probably need to be in bed by nine, 10, yeah. right? Which means you're probably going to tell your friends who like to hang out till 1am. Sorry, uh, I can't do that because I'm trying to get up at five to go exercise. You're not going to be the coolest guy on the street sometimes when it comes to building structure. But if that's what you want in your life to be more productive and to achieve your goals, that's what it entails. Self-care, I think is hugely underrated. And I'm, I'm, I'm probably not the right person to say this because I don't, I don't oftentimes engage in self-care and I know that I ought to, but giving yourself those little rewards when you've done things right, even if it's like, I know now it's a little bit more challenging, but like going out, going out for a bite to eat, you know, you've done well today. Give yourself a pat on the back, reward yourself. It's a long journey, whatever it is you're doing, whether it's the CFA charter or any other major endeavor that you're undertaking in your life, it's a journey. Reward yourself for those little wins and take joy in the journey as well. Oftentimes, Mm -hmm. it's super easy to get focused on where it is you're going that you completely forget to enjoy the path on the way there. And I oftentimes find myself doing that. I need to do better. I need to hold myself accountable, um, which is sort of why I'm sharing it with with you is as somebody who is super, super determined to be the best that I can be and is a very future-oriented person, it's oftentimes super easy to forget that, you know, there's value in enjoying the moment. So, So take that time as well and know yourself right? I, I, I know myself. I know what's going to work. I know what's not going to work. I keep, I, you know, I stay true to myself. I know that I'm the type of person, if I don't get done what I need to get done today, I'm going to feel really, really upset. It's really going to bother me. So I just make sure to do it. And if I, you know, if I disappoint somebody else because they wanted to do something else, well, I'm on my own path. <laughs> you know, it's funny. That's literally my tattoo. <laughs> That's the tattoo that I have on my arm. You are on your own path. What a beautiful way to... (laughs) Yes, absolutely. (laughs) Honestly, like just the way that we've sort of wrapped up here, these are all themes that you've been able to embed in sort of all of your answers through this conversation. Thanks for sharing this current portion of your life and like what you're building. What I love most about this podcast, I've been doing it for three years, is that, you know, 10 years from now, there's this content on the internet that you can, you know, rewatch if you're interested and get a snapshot of where you were and what you were thinking about and looking back even how it is you were able to get to where you are today is really cool. And thanks for accepting this 
this invitation. I do have two more questions for you, though. For sure. Shoot. So in your industry right now, I, I really would have loved to get into investing. Maybe that's like a future conversation we have. For sure. Um, but in your industry right now, what are some of the coolest things that you're seeing that have been of great interest right now? I think, so finance industry is super broad. Something that I, I don't understand this concept very well, uh, but this whole concept of cryptocurrencies has, I mean, it's going through a boom period to say the least. I don't understand the fundamentals. You know, I don't get it as somebody who considers himself fairly well educated in it. I don't know why people are buying this. Maybe I'm missing something, <laughs> but it, it, it's some, it, it's some, I, I, I don't know if it's, it's just retail traders who are trying, are in it for a quick buck. I don't know what the future holds for, for cryptocurrencies, but it's something that people are speaking about a little bit more intently in the industry. And it's something I should probably educate myself a little bit more about. Thanks for sharing that. Thanks. For sure. Thanks to everyone who tuned into this episode of the power of why. If people want to connect with you, is LinkedIn the best place for them to do that? Yes, yes. You can direct message me on LinkedIn. I tend to be pretty good with that. I, the way that I view it is I direct message a fair amount of people when I want to connect. So if somebody yeah. wants to connect with me, I sort of empathize with them. And I'm like, yeah, I'm not going <laughs> to leave you hanging because I've, I've been left hanging before and that hurts. <laughs> okay, so you will get a reply from Musay if you message him on LinkedIn. Um, but thank you. Thanks for being here. Thanks for sharing your story. Thanks to everyone who tuned in. We'll catch you in the next episode. Yes, thank you for having me. Thank you for tuning into this week's episode. If you enjoyed it, please drop us a review on iTunes with a brief note about your thoughts of the show. We publish new episodes of the podcast every single week. Until then, thank you so much for listening.